Yeah, so I think we, I mean, we foresaw definitely that, you know, labs were going to shut down for a significant amount of time. Oh, really? How did you guys know? <laughs> well, I mean, we started like, you know, hypothesizing about this in, you know, February, late February. I mean, there's tons of news reports. China was already shut down. I mean, you kind of like read the tea leaves a little bit. Welcome back to Relatively Certain, a science podcast straight from researchers at the University of Maryland. Today, we're bringing you a short story of science and quarantine, how a lab managed to turn lemons into lemonade by creating the first remote-controlled experiment of its kind. In 2020, when the world shut down, a lot of lab research came to a screeching halt. But scientists are a creative lot, and many figured out clever ways to stay productive. We caught up with the main character of today's story back in 2020, in the thick of things, when he was a graduate student working in a lab that uses ions as building blocks for quantum computers. Yeah, my name is uh, Laird Egan. I'm a graduate student uh, at University of Maryland. I'm in my, let me think about this, either third or fourth year. I guess my, I'm in the middle of my third year, and I work for uh, Chris Monroe as my advisor. And we do ion trap quantum computing, and I'm an experimentalist. Now... Egan is a senior quantum systems engineer at IonQ, an ion-based quantum computing company co-founded by Monroe, just down the street from the University of Maryland. But in the winter of 2020, Egan was still a grad student, and he and his lab mates were caught between a rock and a hard place. The pandemic was threatening to shut down their labs, while their funders were urgently awaiting results. They managed to quickly rig up their experiment to be run from the comfort of their homes, where many of them hunkered down, some with newly acquired quarantine pets. And they used it to demonstrate a quantum computing first, an effective quantum bit, or logical qubit, that can potentially be used as a building block for computations that can tolerate errors. They published this result in the journal Nature in October 2021. To see how they were able to do this, we have to dial a clock back six years to when this project first began. Back then, Two years before Egan even joined the lab, the plan was to build a quantum computer that could serve as a prototype for a real product, not just a lab curiosity. This involved a lot of advanced planning and designing, work that was done by the many researchers that worked in the lab before Egan. No, I came in at a really fun time because it's basically like people had designed this Lego kit for me and I just had to put it together. <laughs> and they did a really good job designing it. And so all the pieces fit together really well. And so. He was putting together the pieces of an ion-based quantum computer with all the vacuum chambers, lasers, and magnetic coils slotting together like pieces of a puzzle into a neat box. Everything a regular computer does comes down to messing with zeros and ones, flipping some of them from one to the other to do computations. Each one or zero is called a bit, and they're all encoded in microscopic electric circuits, usually made of transistors. Quantum computers substitute those basic bits with quantum bits. These qubits work in a fundamentally different way. While a classical bit is basically a switch that can be flipped up for one or down for zero, a quantum bit is more amorphous. It's like a switch that can be flipped up, down, or a little bit of both, a quantum superposition. And even if it's in both, if you measure it, it'll be flipped up or down with some probability. 
this capacity for superposition gives some advantages to quantum computers. At least in theory, they should be able to do certain calculations a lot faster than any regular computer ever could. That's why so many people, including Egan and his lab mates, are working hard to build them. While the role of everyday bits is often played by transistors, people haven't quite settled on what will make the best qubit. Some use superconductors, some atoms. In Egan's case, ions, atoms with one electron taken away, make up the qubits. They picked ytterbium, a little-known metal from the rare earth group named after a village in Sweden near where it was first discovered. To wrangle individual ytterbium ions, researchers need to isolate them from everything else. They put the ions inside a vacuum chamber, a steel and glass cell with all the air pumped out of it, until there's less stuff inside the chamber than there is even in outer space. The ytterbium ions are sprayed into the vacuum chamber. Then, an electric field waving up and down in a precise fashion serves to trap them in a line. Yeah, and then we just we just try to pack as many ions in there as we can, and they naturally repel each other. And then we just kind of hold them all in there. The ions space themselves out in the trap, ending up less than five microns from one another, the size of a single grain of fine salt. Once they're in their spots, the task becomes controlling them one by one and detecting the output. Um, and then it's just a matter of how do we control them? So how do we control our qubits? And so we optically address them with laser beams. And so we can, we can pick out kind of which ions we don't want to hit with lasers at, at what time. And that's how we do operations. One of the reasons quantum computers are so tricky to build is that qubits and their cool quantum-y property of superposition are easily destroyed by the outside world. So Egan and his lab mates built a box around the apparatus to protect it from the environment. They also motorized as much of the experiment as possible to minimize how much humans had to reach their grubby hands into the enclosed box and to get more precise control. Some of these motors sound like a sci-fi robot future coming to life. Um, we have this kind of like weird hexapod thing that has these six legs, kind of looks like a little spider thing that can, you can move around an objective, which is what we used to actually read out um, light from the ions, which is how we figure out whether it was a zero or a one. With all that shielding and automation, by the time the pandemic began, they were already in a pretty good spot to be able to run remotely. But they still had to snap to action to make sure everything they were doing in lab could be done from home. And so we had about two to, two to three weeks to really get the system running remotely. Um, and that involved a lot of like, a lot of the stupid stuff. A lot of just like, we needed to put our computers on a remote controlled outlet so that we could reset them if they crashed, <laughs> for example. Um, maybe there was this one dial that we always turn in the lab to like tweak something. Um, okay, well, how do you turn that dial if you're not in the lab? So there's a lot of the stupid stuff like that. Um, but our, our core experiment, like I said, was always designed to not be touched. So that was actually really easy to kind of make remote. Working around the clock, they succeeded in taking care of all the stupid but really incredibly important stuff. In fact, from March to the end of 2020, they only had one person come in once a week to make sure everything was running smoothly. Turns out, not only was the experiment working remotely, 
it was working even better than before. We have the, we had this box, right? The, the idea was that, to have this box that kind of separated kind of our quantum computer from the outside world. And the outside world was kind of like us in the lab, bumping things around, dropping stuff, trying to shield it from that. Um, so it was already a little bit shielded, but it does even better when no one else is in the room. We've, we've started to kind of like measure these really, really sensitive magnetic fields that influence our error rates of our qubit, whatnot. But essentially, some of these fields can be measured down to someone moving around a chair in the lab. And so, so when you don't have that, you don't have those errors. Quantum computers are so sensitive, they do better when no one else is in the room. And Egan and his lab mates were not the first to discover this. Yeah, so right, I mean, we're not unique here, right? I mean, every everyone that has a quantum computer has been trying to get it away from people, <laughs> right? So everyone's been trying to put it on the cloud. And in order to get it on the cloud, you need to not have people not around it dropping wrenches that mess things up and whatnot. So um, we're unique in the sense that we're kind of an academic group that's kind of been able to put our machine on the cloud because putting stuff on the cloud requires a ton of overhead, right? I mean, having things run autonomously and remotely is, is a lot of overhead compared to having a uh, cheap grad student just fix it and run it manually. Running remotely and benefiting from less noise, they were able to get closer than ever before to a qubit that can withstand any remaining errors. Regular computers can encode a single zero in a way that can withstand errors by just repeating it a bunch. Instead of just writing a zero, one might use three bits and write zero, zero, zero. But with qubits, it's a bit trickier. Classically, the only way to mess up is to flip the bit from zero to one or vice versa. But a qubit could just go from being in a superposition of zero and one to a slightly different superposition of zero and one. To encode a single error-resistant qubit, Egan and his lab mates had to use nine of their ions and four more to help them detect the error. But they managed to reach this milestone to the delight of their funders in due time and with the added comforts of home. And I will say that, you know, kind of working late nights at home is a lot more comfortable than being in a cold lab, <laughs> freezing your butt off. <laughs> At, you know, at, at two in the morning, <laughs> you know, working from home is pretty nice. You know, I don't, I was a commuter before this. So I would drive, you know, 30, 40 minutes to Maryland to get into the lab. And so, so, I mean, that doesn't happen any now. I, I got a puppy because I was like, what else am I going to do in quarantine? So, you know, just sit in my office with my dog and, you know, things are pretty great working from home. It seems that even in the midst of troubled times, there's still room for creativity, success, and error-correcting qubits with silver linings of warmth and puppies. <laughs> That's it for this episode. We'll be back soon with more physics fun. For Relatively Certain, I'm Dina Genkina. <laughs>